All right. Good morning, New City Church. Glad that you're here. Uh, For the second Sunday in a row, I get to thank the people that went up on the roof and shoveled snow off of the roof of our building. Uh, You might have noticed we uh, rejuvenated the pipe and drape tour, our new look coffee cove. Uh, We had had a a handful of guys, Aaron and Nathan led a few guys this Saturday that came in and tried to fix some of the the leaking that's been happening. So thank thank you all to whoever came out and and worked in the cold. We can give them a round of applause. That'll work. And it's, it's really fitting today because we're, we're going to finish up the book of Joshua. We've been in this series monumental since August, actually. Uh, we're going to finish up the book of Joshua, and today is that famous verse where Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we're going to talk about serving the Lord today. You can turn your Bibles to Joshua 24. Um, we'll be in, the, in that, that whole chapter. Um, so just, just, to, just to give you a little glimpse of, of where we're at here, I've shown you this many times. Most of Joshua is about the battles coming into the promised land and who got the land once, once uh, the battles were over. Now we, come, we find ourselves at the end of the book. And that, that, lar- that large gold bar there on the far right, um, the first part of that we talked about last week, that was Joshua's farewell address. He talked to the people of Israel and shared what he's burdened about with them last week. This week, uh, as, as is in typical fashion, Joshua gives God the last word. So we've heard from Joshua. Now we're going to hear from God. God is going to address Israel one last time in this book. And so, We've we've crossed the river. We've seen uh, miracle after miracle. We've seen we've we've won the major battles and the minor battles. And now we find ourselves in the story where everyone there is rest in the land. There is peace. Everyone has a home now. They were a wandering group of people, and now they have a home. So God is going to God is going to give His sort of final message to this generation and this group of people. Uh, now uh, I only have only have two points uh, today, and it's it's essentially the message of the book. The, 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 the chapter breaks neatly into two parts. We'll read the first part, talk about it, and read the second. So the two things we're going to talk about is, uh, is, is probably the main message of the book. Number one, God does the fighting. So we'll look at the first part in, in God's address. God does the fighting. And then number two, you have a choice. So God does the fighting in the, in the first part. And number two, you have the choice. <clears throat> and that choice is whether or not you will serve him. So even though he may fight for you, you still get a choice to serve him or not. Um, there, are, there are many, there, uh, if you're a fan of this book, if you've enjoyed it, if, 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 uh, if, if you're, you know some of the details of it, there's a lot that goes on in this last chapter that puts a button on those things and a couple of the other things that we've been talking about. I don't have time to, to go deeply into all of those, but we'll try to mention as many as I can. Um, this chapter folds up the story very nicely, even though we know that it continues uh, on in the book of Judges. So I'm excited to, to, to wrap things up here. Let's pray, and we'll, we'll look at the first 13 verses to begin with in Joshua chapter 24. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you that you give us voices to sing of your goodness. And Lord, I'm sure not everyone is coming into church this Sunday um, feeling that emotionally, feeling like everything is going well and that all they can see is your goodness. But God, we know that it's there, that it's reliable, and that ultimately you do the fighting and that, that the goodness that you have will someday in a very clear way to us, even if it's not clear now, outshine all the the trials and the troubles and the evils that we live with today. So God, we thank you. We thank you that you give us this hope. We thank you that you give us glimpses in your word. Help us to turn to your word now um, and be encouraged from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Joshua chapter 24. 
Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. All right, let's pause there. We're looking at two things today, just two things. And the first one is God does the fighting. So in God's final address to the people, he chooses to do a history. He's just reminding them. He's sort of zooming out and giving them the big picture. Remember what all has happened and remember to whom you can give credit for uh, for all of this. So the first thing I want to point out, this is one of the many um, interesting ways that the book of Joshua closes. This all happens at Shechem, which is not a city we've talked a lot about. We've talked about Jericho and AI. Um, Shechem, we, we haven't hit a lot in this book, but two things happen at Shechem that make this really important. Today in our, in our story, Israel, uh, uh, Joshua is going to give Israel the choice. You can worship your idols or you can worship the Lord. Now that he's given you the land, make the choice. And two stories have happened at this place that, 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 that are really important. Uh, this is where in Genesis 12, Abraham passed through the land of Shechem and then the Lord appeared to him and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? We've been tracking all the stone monuments. You want to know what the very first one in the promised land was? Right here. When Moses came out of the, of the pagan nation that he was from and God said, this will all be yours someday. And Moses built a monument. That happened at this very place, in this very city. The other story, there are several things that happen at Shechem, but the other one that matters for us today, this is where Jacob, when he goes out and he gets his wives and he starts his family and then he comes back um, to, to where Esau lives. Um, in Genesis 35, a little bit after that story, it says they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had. This is his wife, the family of his 
wife, uh, his two wives, actually. They, they were idol worshipers. But at Shechem, uh, J- Jacob uh, basically collects all the idols of the family and he hides them under a tree, buries them under a tree at Shechem. So this is the city where the first monument in the promised land happened. And the first time God said, this is going to be yours, that, that happened at Shechem. And also it was where Jacob, the, the great father of the church, decided, will I, will I serve the other foreign gods of the Lord? He definitively said, I will bury these other idols and serve the Lord. So that's, that's where we are. As God tells the history, um, he, he leaves out a lot of details. It's a brief history. But the thing that he emphasizes a lot are the foreign nations where they were dwelling as the people of Israel. And also it's uh, the, the, the foreign gods that were there. Um, it's, it's almost a tour of all the other options they had to, for gods to worship. And uh, uh, we won't go into great detail here. Um, but, but it begins by telling us something that no other place in scripture explicitly tells us. It says, Abraham, the father of, uh, of my, my people... He worshipped pagan gods. In the, when he was in the land of Ur, Ur, he worshipped pagan gods. And so here's just a smattering. There are many more Mesopotamian gods. Marduk might be the one that you've heard of. But, 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 but God is illustrating. Now this all started by me rescuing somebody who was worshipping fake gods. Gods that could not satisfy him and could not hear his prayers. I grabbed Abraham out of that. Look what God can do uh, with one man. He pulled him out of, out of this. And then they came to Egypt. And there are many more Egyptian gods than here. But, but here, here, here's a few of them. They, they lived in the land of Egypt for many years. They were slaves in Egypt. And now they have different neighbors with different gods. But they all are very similar. There's, there's usually always a fertility god, goddess and a sun god and that sort of thing. Um, and then, and then as, they come, as we come into the promised land, this is the graphic you may recognize. Now these are the gods that, that they have to contend with. Uh, Asherah, Molech, Baal is, is, is the one that comes up the most in the Bible. So one of the things God is doing is he's saying, you have come through all these lands and you have many options when it comes to who you will serve. But as he's telling the history, he's asking them to make, a, make an informed decision. Which ones do you think you ought to serve? The, land, the, the gods of, of, of Abraham, did they bring him uh, into a land that was his own? The gods of Egypt, when they were battling the Egyptians, when the Red Sea walls were parted, were the gods of Egypt strong enough to keep those waters up? Or was it God himself who just like that collapsed the waters and devastated the Egyptian army. The, the, you, you remember the ten plagues, right? And, and there was one of the plagues is a bunch of frogs come on the land. I've always thought it was really interesting when I found out that the Egyptians had a frog god. Did you know that? His name's Hecht. He, they have a frog god. And one of the things God is demonstrating in that story is, what good is the frog god if he can't stop the plague of frogs, right? The frog god's description has to be very brief. I don't know what else, I don't know what else a frog god would do besides stop the plague of frogs. Frogs. Um, maybe, maybe he would make them different colors to entertain the people. I don't know. But, but, but God demonstrated it, it, it with, with Abraham and with Egypt. Yeah, they have these gods, but they're, they're worthless. They're powerless. Look at what I've done. And then, and then again, in the gods, the gods of Canaan. Yeah, they, there was a whole, many nations, and they worshiped those gods, and they were praying to those gods fervently on the night of the battle, and they were totally wiped out and devastated because God does the fighting. Um, just a quick point of application. Uh, we're doing cultural gods. You could make, very easily make the jump to what are our gods. And again, there are many more gods than what I've listed up here. But, to, but just to give you an idea, right? We, we, these, are, these are some things that we would say are gods in our culture. Approval, comfort, success, self, right? 
So, so at the end of this sermon, I'm going to basically say, you have a similar choice to the Israelites. You can decide who you're going to serve. And some of you serve some of these gods. You wouldn't say it like that, but you, you worship at the altar of these gods. They're, 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 very, they're very important to you. One of the things that God is doing in, in relaying this history is, is really pressing us and saying, how good are those gods at what you think they're doing? How good are your gods that you're serving and worshiping? You, so let's take one comfort, right? You could, you could worship at that altar in our culture. You could, you could try to make as much money as possible and try to make your dream home as best as you possibly can. God is saying to us today, wait a minute, I'm the God of rest. Do you think you're going to get rest by, by doing that? Do you think you, that, that, that you stand any more chance of getting true, uh, deep rest and comfort and peace by making money and buying stuff? And no more than the frog god was able to stop God. That's what he's doing with this. He's, he's saying, look, look at all these gods. The road is littered with all these gods. And we can kind of jump to the same thing. And if you can't think of a god at all, uh, uh, but you don't worship the god of heaven and earth, then, then yourself is the god. Then, then, that's, then it's, just, it's just you and what you think and what you want. And God's, God's politely here, gently nudging us and saying, has that worked? Has it worked? Are, do, you, do, you, do you have the wisdom like, like the almighty God does? Do you have the power to change your situation like I do? No, you're a person. You're a human. You have no power over what happens to you, the things that happen in your life. So the, don't, don't lose the charge that's happening here. He's like, look at all these gods. The road is littered with them. Same goes for, same goes for us. But back to the context. He's talking, about, he's talking to this, this group of people. How, how is it that, that God defeated all these, these gods? Um, cool, this is one of the coolest details of the whole story. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. So I told you at the beginning of this series, there, there are at least two sort of mythical beings in this book. And we, they're, 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 not, they're sort of mysterious to us. The first one was the commander of the Lord's army. The last one comes in the last chapter. It's the hornet of the Lord. Did you know God had a hornet? Be honest. <laughs> Did you know he had a hornet? What a neat, what a neat thing. I, I was so obsessed with this detail. Like I, when, when I had Kristen make the graphics for the series, I almost went all in on the hornet. This was a first draft. <laughs> but the danger was like nobody would get it till the very last sermon. It's like, why is there a bumblebee on the, on the Joshua series? <laughs> I just thought it was a really cool detail. So, so this, is a, this is a picture of what, what, what a hornet would look like to them. This is the oriental hornet. This is what, what it would look like to them. But it's, I, don't know, I don't believe necessarily that God has a literal hornet here. I think they're, being, they're, they're using some imagery. But, but think about what that means. They, they, they fought all these battles, right? And, and again, put yourself in the boots of the soldier the night before just sharpening your sword. And I know God promised you that you'd have success, but it's a little bit hard to believe when there's a giant army uh, facing you on the other side, right? So you're nervous. You're sharpening your sword. You know what you wouldn't have gotten to see if you were that soldier? The hornet had already been there. The, 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 the fear of God, the chaos that he was stirring up in those enemies so that they didn't have a chance. So here you are, nervous, you're, you're, you're sharpening your sword. The hornet's been there. God went before them, and he stirred them up, and he made sure that the, that the mission would be successful. You had nothing to worry about. You just had to be faithful. You just had to show up with your sword. You had to go and fight. And I think that's a beautiful lesson for us, too. We don't always see what he's doing up ahead of us. We don't always see when he sends the hornet. But it was never in doubt. It was never in question. They were always in his hands. Why? Because God does the fighting. 
Now let's look at the choice that Israel has. So this is the second, this would be the second half of our, of our text here. So God is done talking here, and now, now this is Joshua and Israel talking. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath, Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaish. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which he had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. So this is the second half, and this is the part where we, we talk about you have a choice. And you heard the famous verse in there, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So it's very obvious that this, this is the whole chapter. This is all of 24 in, in, one, in one shot. It's very obvious that serving the Lord is the main idea in the chapter. It, this is how God wants to end this story. And the word serve comes up 17 times in different, different ways. You can serve these gods, you can serve, uh, you can serve the Lord Almighty. Um, at the very least, we would maybe define what... What it, what it means to serving the, the Lord in, in, in three ways, and we'll do, we'll, do this, we'll do this quickly here. But if, if my challenge to you as the preacher for today is, you need to serve the Lord. You have a choice, other gods, um, American gods, whatever, or the Lord, what, 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 what am I asking for? Well, at the very, at the very least, the, the very first thing we would say is, I'm, I'm asking for you to acknowledge some sort of rank. 
some sort of hierarchy. I'm asking you to serve the Lord in the first place because he outranks you. He is a higher being than you. And that's maybe just a common way that we would look at, at, at service. If you have a servant, right, the, the master outranks, outranks the servant. So when God is calling us to serve him, we are acknowledging something. We're acknowledging that we are imperfect, that we are sinful, but that he is the almighty Lord who's done all of these things. The, the second thing is also probably pretty obvious. It just goes along with the, the word, what it means. It means there's, a, there's an implied rank and there's an implied action. So there's no such thing as, as serving with, without some kind of doing. Maybe the easiest example is when you go into a restaurant, you've just entered into an implied contract with your, with your waiter or waitress. Um, in, there's a way in which you outrank them, right? They're there to serve you. Uh, like if you order uh, a burger, they, they're not going to have a debate with you and say, no, I think it's not today, right? They're, they're going to submit to your... Uh, I might have lost you. That's how I eat. Uh, if you order a Cobb salad and they say, no, you need a Caesar salad, is that better? Are you guys healthier? Okay. Right? It's not, it's not a debate. They're, they're, there to, they're there to serve you. They're there to get what you want. When, 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 the dishes, when, the, when it's time to do the dishes, they, along with the kitchen staff, are, are going to, through their actions, uh, serve you in, 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 that, uh, in, that, in that venue. But you can imagine a scenario where they do all that, they serve you, they get you what you want, they do the actions for you, and they hate your guts. <laughs> maybe, maybe, you've had, maybe you've had a story like that. Maybe you've had an experience like that. And so this is the third thing that Joshua really presses on here in this address. Sincerity. So acknowledging that God is above you, actually putting your, your, your feet to the fire and moving and doing and, 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 and living that out. And then the final thing is sincerity. Did you notice twice he talks about it? Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. That word means stretched out, literally moving towards him. And then in, in 23, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. That is what he's calling us to do. Know who you are. Know where, where you fall. There is an almighty God who created you. Everything you have is owed to him. He's calling you to action. He doesn't want you to take that truth and put it in your pocket and feel good about it, right? He's called you to do something. He wants to serve you. He has something for your life. It's the, it's the work of a, the Christian to, to read through the Bible and try to figure that out. What is it that God has called me to but the, the, the last thing is the most beautiful one. And, and it's basically just, and mean it when you do it. Translation, and love God as you do it. Now, to, to our modern minds, we don't like the word serve. Even, even if, when I'm talking about the waiter or the waitress, you're like, well, I'm no better than, I'm no better than the waiter or waitress, and I, I agree with you, right? So ser serving ca can have uh, a really negative connotation. But let me, let me challenge you on that. Have you ever had a coach or a teacher or a boss that you loved to work or play for? Have you ever had the joy of that? When the, when, the, when the one you serve really does care about you and they're good and, and, and they're, they're, they have your interests at heart, but, but they, they're not soft with you, right? They'll, they'll challenge you. They'll sharpen you. There's, there's, there's no better experience. I've had that. I can, I can think of many times, teachers, coaches, bosses that I've had. And actually, as I thought about those people, one of the main traits, I was like, they were harder on me than the other ones were. And I, and I don't think it was because they were mean or anything like that. I think it's because they desired something out of me. You could, ser you could 
could serve better here. You can do here. They, they pushed me. So, so don't be put off by this call to serve the Lord. It's, it's, it's not maybe what you think it is. If you are serving somebody that loves you and cares for you, there's no better privilege to have. And oh, by the way, we, we, we serve him because of all the things that he's done. The first part of this passage was a great history of all the graces God's given. So am I calling you to reach out to, to, a, to a cold and distant God and love him somehow? No, I'm telling you that he's already been here. The work's already been done. He already loves you. He, 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 he uh, subverted his rank and came down in the form of Jesus and died on the cross for your sins. He's already done that. So the call is, are you going to serve a God like that? Are you going to choose him? Now here's the crazy thing about our passage. Joshua leaves a little bit of room open for the fact that they might not. He could have preached this sermon and said, you'd, you'd, you'd all be an idiot to not do this. And in fact, I'm not even going to give you option B. We're all serving. Uh, as for me and my nation, we will all serve the Lord. He doesn't do that. He, uh, he opens it up to say, now if you find it evil serving God, if that doesn't fit you, and you, you can go ahead and serve, you can serve these gods. The irony of this is, it's almost a joke. I don't think Joshua is a super funny biblical character, but it's possible this is a joke. The, the, the remains and the ashes of all these false gods are, ju- are just right behind him, just a steaming pile of smoke. God has utterly demonstrated who he is and how foolish these gods are. But he gives them a choice. You can go ahead. You can do this. And like a good leader, he, 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 he's the first one that, that, that decides to declare, we do have a choice. We can serve the Canaanite gods or, or our God. And like a good leader, he says, but what we're going to do in the Joshua family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a settled thing. We will, I, I know what we will pick, but the choice is yours. And so New City, I, w- I, would, I would put that, that uh, same question to you. Exactly. Choose this day whom you will serve. Are you going to serve yourself? Are you going to pursue everyone else's approval? Is that what you should give your life to? Is that what has the highest rank and what deserves your your most uh, uh, vigorous, rigorous actions and what has your heart? That's a good barometer, actually. Who are you serving? You're serving someone or something or an idea. Does it love you? Is it going to come through for you like the God of the universe? Choose this day whom you will serve. It's almost, it's almost a joke, but it's settled. Let me ask you this. In your house, if you're, if you're in, a, in a family, if you're leading a family, is it obvious to all the rest of us that in this house, we serve the Lord? In this house, God always ranks higher than whatever we're doing. And the actions, if, if you looked at our calendar, in this house, we are, we, are, we are working and doing the things that God has called us to do. And we love God in our house. That's a good challenge for all of us. For, for people, especially if you're raising your family right now, in what way can you say that? With the rank, the actions, the sincerity that me and my house, we serve the Lord. Uh, there it is. Sorry, I missed it. Uh, it's one of, the most, one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible where he makes this ridiculous, ridiculous question, but he does give it, up, give it up to them. It's your choice. And the same is true for you, New City. You have a choice. You can serve God or not. So how does it end? Um, 
I, 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 in a, a sermon a couple weeks back, we talked about that Joshua, even though he's a, he's a stud in this story, he does a lot of awesome things, and he, he's, he's always, here's, here's kind of the character sketch we've been looking at. Joshua always points to God's word, and God always encourages Joshua. The relationship that they have is, very, is, is close, and it's, it's worth modeling. But I, I pointed out um, a few weeks ago, he's surprisingly lacking on titles. We never, and the Bible never calls him Joshua the warrior, Joshua the great, Joshua the conqueror. These are the only things he's, he's ever called up until chapter 24. He's the son of Nun, so it's not an honorific title, and then he's Moses' assistant, also probably not an, an honorific title. Did you catch the title that he got at the very end of his life? After these things, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. Can you imagine? He spent his whole life fighting for God. And it's an extraordinary, it's, it's, it's such a unique life. He's, he's one of two people that saw all the stuff in Egypt and all the stuff in the promised land. He's such a unique uh, character in our Bible. And throughout the whole thing, he has been faithful. God says it, Joshua does it. God says it, Joshua does it. At the very end, he's called servant. And again, I think to our modern ears, we might bristle at that, but I think it's the most beautiful eulogy you could find. That guy served the Lord. That's what he did. That's all he did. God would say it, and Joshua did it. Joshua did it. Moses gets called servant of the Lord a lot. I think it's five or six times, even in the book of Joshua. And he's always kind of worked in Moses' shadow. And here we have this eulogy for him. He was a servant of the Lord. So that's sort of how we put Joshua to rest in the Bible. That guy served the Lord. And then right after that in verse 31, it says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Moses would have killed for that in his epitaph. Moses would have killed for that. Joshua served the Lord and his generation did too. What an amazing story of a faithful guy. And, and, and then the title that he is honored with at the end is servant. It's only, it's only an honorific title. It's only an honor to be called the servant of the Lord if you know who God is. If you know how wonderful God is and how Joshua fit into his divine plan. It takes a bit of humility to do that. These aren't the battles of Joshua. They weren't his wins. But he came and he served. And God honors him with that title. He wasn't the main character. God was. God does the fighting. And if you zoom out, you can see the work that God was doing. But for his part, his little part in the battle, Joshua was faithful. Because he always turned to God's word. He always believed it. And, and God always encouraged him. So now we have our last monument at, towards the, the end of the story. Um, they, make, uh, they renew their covenant to follow the Lord, and they, and they, they do it sort of with the stone as a witness. Um, if, you, if you'll remember, the, 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 the monuments are basically these reminders of what God has done. Physical parts, almost like furniture in a room. Physical things to remember uh, the goodness of God and what, what he's done. And this is the last monument. And it's very fitting that in the exact same place where Moses built his first, or not Moses, where Abraham built his first altar, where Jacob buried his idols, that they, they erect one more stone. Remember, remember when you walk by this stone that you promised, I will not follow those other gods. I will follow God. The stone itself is a witness.
So I want to talk a little bit uh, as we close here just about um, our, our monument, the monument that we made. So back in August, if you don't know, um, we, we, in kind of retelling the story of all that God's done for our church uh, over the last four years, we, I had everybody bring a stone and we brought various stones in to build, to build a monument. We were sort of playing out what they do in the beginning of the book of Joshua when they grab the stones from the, from the riverbed and, and erect a monument. And the idea is that, that you have this thing, this piece of furniture, this wall hanging or this, this stone structure. And every time you walk by it, you're supposed to remember the good things that God has done. So, so we, we, we have a part in that too. We, we didn't see the Red Sea part necessarily, but we saw a jet ski go by at an outdoor baptism. That's something. No, that wasn't, that wasn't one of the great highlights of, of, the church, of, of the church history, right? But we wanted to, in our own way, do a similar thing. Let's, 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 put, a, let's put something up so that every time we walk by it, we'll remember how good God was. And, and I, w- I will say, maybe, maybe no miracles, but I will say, if you have been paying attention, if you've been with us for four years or even two or three, you've seen God work. God, God has continued to write a history. He's continued to demonstrate his faithfulness. And there are all kinds of examples, and we could share all kinds of stories. But what I want to maybe point out to you is something. He, 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 let, me, let me instruct you on how to look at that monument out, 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 just outside these doors here. There's two, there's two ways that I, that I know of. One way is in close-up, and I, I zeroed in on uh, uh, Tom Urban went, actually went to Israel while we were in this series, and he brought back a stone from the Jordan River. Isn't that awesome? It's, that's a, it's that big white stone on the left side of the cross. So one way that you can look at that monument when, you, when, when you're um, enjoying it, when you're out in the hallway, is look at it up close. And maybe your family picked a distinct rock, and you can find the rock, right? When you look at it up close, you're, you're sort of remembering, what was your part in this? What, how, how have you served the Lord in, in the last several years, right? And even if you don't have a physical rock there, if you're part of this church, right, the, the idea is the same. You can look at the work of God and like, what did I do? What, 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 was, what was my piece of it? And I actually asked you to do that. Grab a rock. Grab a rock from a significant place where you were ministered to, where, 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 where the Lord worked. Maybe it's your home or, or, or someplace else, right? And we collected all these rocks and we remember our part in the last four years. But the other way that you look at that is when you step back, kind of to the middle or to the back of the hallway. And when you do that, you realize your rock is not quite as significant from this distance, but it makes up sort of this mosaic of something way more beautiful and way more powerful. And that was kind of the, what we were going for with the symbolism of this monument is you all have a part of it. You're all, you're all a, a brick in the wall. You're all a rock in the structure. And it matters. It matters that we serve. It matters that we sharpen the sword and we go into battle. We, we have a battle in front of us. We have a whole town. We have a world uh, of people, of unreached people. That's what God, that's the action God has called us to. So what you do matters. Choose this day whom you will serve. Who will you serve? But when we can step back and have a little more of the perspective of God, we see that it is all in service to something greater than you and me. It's not about what you did or what I did or the hours we put in or the contribution. It's about what he has done. And Joshua didn't have this, but we do on, in, on, the, on this side of the New Testament. It's about the work of Christ on the cross. We are working so that people might know Jesus, so that they might be changed. Who's the one that actually did the work to secure that? Jesus Christ, when he dies on the cross. So that's how we should look at that monument. Every time, I don't know about every time, that might be a lot to ask. Many times, 
<laughs> when you step out, when you step out of this auditorium, you're leaving to go home or whatever it is. I hope you, I hope you can look at that monument in those two ways. Remember how God has called you to serve him and the neat things that he has done in your life. And then remember that it's all going towards something far greater than that. The glory of God most high. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it cool that we get to be servants of the Lord if we choose him? We should aspire for that title. So I'll close, I'll close with this. Um, as I said, there are several really awesome things that happen at the end, and I, I can only just mention them. It's, did you catch um, in, in, in uh, verse 20, 24, verse 26, where it says, uh, da, 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 da. Joshua wrote these uh, words in the book of the law of God. He took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth. Isn't it neat that the man who is so convinced of God's word, he's a word guy. Joshua loves the word of God. He always believes it. At the end of our book, there's a little, it's a little footnote almost, but he's, he's writing more scripture. The, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books have been established and God sort of honors Joshua with what's the next thing to be written after the words of Moses. It's the story of Joshua. It's the story of the people of Israel when, when Joshua was leading. I think that's such a cool uh, part of his epitaph that a man who loved the words so much was given the privilege to write the words. One other really neat thing, it, talk, it tells us at the end where Joseph's bones are buried. This is a story we haven't even talked about, but when Joseph dies in Egypt, he is the ancestor of all these people, he says, I know God's going to deliver on his promise. I know I'm not going to live to see that day. Make sure that you take my body and bury it in the promised land. And so when Joshua dies, he's not the only one that gets buried that day. It's him, the high priest, and Joseph who demonstrated all the way to the end of, of his life that he believed in the promises of God. He never got to see it. He never got to have a little town or a little pasture that was his. And yet he knew God would do it. And he did. And they brought the bones over and they buried him. Just another, at the very end of our book, another uh, testimony to God does the fighting and God always keeps his promises. Here's the last thing I'll share with you. Joshua said something very strange at the end. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. Israel gives an emphatic, we, we've seen all the stuff. We've been here. We've seen all the miracles. We will serve the Lord. Do you remember what Joshua said? No, you won't. Did anybody catch that? You are not able to serve the Lord. What? Are we going to end on that? <laughs> what? Isn't that strange? I just spent a half hour telling you guys to serve the Lord, and Joshua jumps in and contradicts me. No, you can't. He's a holy God. You can't serve him. What's, what's, what's going on here? We know that if you turn a page in your Bible to Judges, and I mean a page, not several pages, they, they start immediately worshiping those pagan gods. Like, almost immediately. As soon as Joshua and that generation dies out, it's just terrible. Okay, so in some ways it's a prophecy. This isn't, this isn't the end. This, God's final plan is not just that we are in this physical promised land here and now in history. There's something greater. And Joshua has his finger on the greater thing. You aren't able to serve the Lord. You know why? Because you, you, you don't want to. <laughs> you want to serve you. You want to worship those gods because other people are doing it and it's easier. It's easier to keep up than not to. That's, that's how we're built. We're just built with this self-worship mechanism. And Joshua points it out 3,500 years ago. Do you know what the work of the cross was? The work of the cross is Jesus forfeiting his rank and coming down and saying, I know these people can't be faithful. 
So I will be the faithful servant. I will be the one that submits to death, even death on a cross. And he dies because we can't serve the Lord. He dies for us. But he still gives us a choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. You can't possibly do it. But if you know Jesus, he will work in you. And he'll make you this imperfect, but but gradually growing in perfection, servant of the Lord. That's what he wants to do in you. But you have a choice. You don't have to follow him. But let me ask you this. Is anybody in, anybody in all the world worthy of your life more than him? More than the one who died for you so that you might get that beautiful title at the end of your life. He served the Lord. She served the Lord. God worked through this person. In the, there's a much bigger picture going on, but look what they did. They were a servant of the Lord. Uh, let me spoil it for you. I'm not as, I'm not as uh, open as Josh. I'm going to spoil it for you. No. No one is more worthy of your worship than Jesus Christ but he is worthy. And it is good to serve somebody who loves you, especially somebody who died for you. That's the gospel. That's the good news, that we can all serve God through Jesus. Do you know Jesus like that? Do you love Jesus and work for Jesus and know that he is the Lord of your life? If you do, all the rest is yours. The inheritance, the land, the stuff, the the, the love that he's going to give you, the relationship, it's all yours. Praise the Lord for that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. In many ways, these people are just so foreign to us. Their world is so different. And in many ways, it's exactly like ours. There's just so many things that are available to us to compete for our affection, for our time, for our action. But Lord, we know better. We know that you have done something amazing, something irrefutable. You've done it through the people of Israel. You've done it in our church. We have all been witnesses. That monument out in the hall is a witness to the fact that you have moved in us. So God, help us to make the very easy choice of whom we will serve. Help us, maybe Lord, help us most of all with the sincerity part. Give us a love for you that can endure trials that can endure the competition of other gods. Lord, help us just in in a small way to be like Joshua, to love your word and to just believe it, to just take it for what it's worth. We know that Joshua always did that. You always encouraged him back. Thank you, God, that you die for us. Thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.